0: This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to PortlandDistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at PortlandDistro.com. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to this week's episode. We've got two of my dear friends, Trevor Shelley Dubrow and Laurent Schroeder Lebec of the Mighty Pelican. I go way back with these guys. Some of Tombs' earliest touring endeavors were with Pelican, so it's really cool to have these guys back on the show. Well, it's Laurent's first time, but Trevor's been on a couple times in the past. Now, as you guys are listening to this, uh, the record, the fire in our throats will beckon the thaw has been reissued by Thrill Jockey. So that was a part of what we talked about on this episode. Before we get going, I want everyone to check out the other Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse shows after they listen to Everything Went Black. Of course, on Mondays, we have HorrorWolf666 brought to you by Brandon Legion. On Tuesday, we have the best metal podcast on the internet that is Into the Necrosphere brought to you by Jackie Smith. On Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black Day. Thursday is Necro Thursday, now and forever, with the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, where I am accompanied by either Mike Scandato or Jeff Kashid to talk about all things horror. And occasionally, all three of us get together. On Sunday, the Lord's Day, we have Carl Hikara's Soul Knox Podcast, which covers all things dark. It covers a lot of ground. Music, films, books and right now carl and i are in the beginning of uh, darkness weaves a collaborative effort where we talk about the work of carl edward wagner a criminally underrated weird fiction horror and dark fantasy author and uh, we alternate episodes on everything went black and soul mox so we're in the middle of just starting that right now two episodes are out also i'd like to thank our latest patreon supporter thank you very much joe and if you're interested in joining the patreon everything went black legion you can do so for as little as one dollar a month and that gives you access to weekly bonus material as well as a bunch of other shows that only appear on the patreon platform for five dollars a month you get all the bonus stuff plus early access to the regular stream shows. Now that's a mixed bag because sometimes I'm only a few days ahead of the curve, but right now we're working on getting a a bit of a buffer so people can enjoy a couple episodes at a time for $25. You can become a sponsor of the show. And that means that I will give you an ad read for your project, your band, your business, even your other podcast if you have one going on. So yeah, check that out. Also, I always forget to say this, but follow us on social media, or on Instagram, Facebook, and leave us a five-star review on Apple or whatever podcast platform you check out. Guys, I have to say that I'm really excited to be online with both of you, gentlemen. And um, Damn you know, man. it's been it's Damn been man. forever. You yeah. know, it it's like uh, well, I feel like Trevor, you and I have spoken fairly recently, but Laurent, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw you or spoke
1: to you i can't remember the last time i spoke to a lot of people sometimes you know especially because i was just kind of disconnected from a lot of music stuff for a while
0: yeah so now now that uh, in, is back to the uh the classic lineup you know which uh includes uh you trevor the, bro- the brothers herwig yeah ian and larry and um and that's uh that's that's a that's kind of um that's a thing you know, I mean, I was, Dallas was great, you know, um, but the original lineup was always special to me, um, primarily because we had some legendary tours together, you know, and that was like, some, some of my, um, favorite memories, uh, doing all this stuff has been out with you guys. And I just think, you know, one, the ISIS tour we did together, yeah. um, yeah you know, well, first time I met you guys and like really met you guys was when we went out with you guys and wolves in the throne room. And I just think it was just great being on the road with people that you respect and, and develop uh, personal uh, relationships with. So, so that's why I'm glad that the band is, is back to that lineup again.
1: As am I. Yeah. Uh, for precisely the same reasons that you mentioned, um, and how I feel about those guys, you know, just being being in a music making capacity again with three people that you have this sort of you know vocal and then also like just kind of organic relationship with just from years of listening to the same stuff being in the same room making music together you know it's i think for people that are not actively making music with each other it can be a hard thing to understand but um it's very uh it's very
0: intimate <laughs> so so the um if i remember correctly uh i think it was it was like a family situation like you know you 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 were you know you're married and you're having having uh your first child and i think that's what kind of took you out of out of the band and everything right is that correct
1: yeah you know um i ask myself that all the time i still kind of you know we usually revisit the past and sort of looking at like why did you do things and you know, why do you take a left turn instead of a right turn over? Things are never quite as like linear as you remember them to be. Usually it's a convergence of different factors that have like an impact. Some of it is uh, large, some of it is small, you know, and depending on when you remember the situation, you attribute worth and weight to one versus another. I certainly for a long time felt the weight of the birth of my first child as like this sort of, I need to be home, I need to be present, it's like a brand new thing for me. Um, I don't know that I ever really even imagined parenthood, you know, Um, and right as that sort of like narrative arc was taking place, um, I think my own past as like the son to my father was also weighing into things, and I think my dad traveled a lot when I was a kid, and I think as I got older and was starting to embrace parenthood, I think it started to really sort of have an impact on me. And I was like, I got to be, I got to be home. I got to make this like be my thing, you know? And so, and so it became front and center for me. And then the, the, the kind of the pressure of like, well, how do you make ends meet? Like, what do you do? Because we were also experiencing a sort of, I think, you, you know, you may not get the same response from if you ask different members of the band, right? That's kind of the thing with being a band. People view that experiences they've had sometimes differently but I was like kind of wanting to pause and slow down but that's a hard thing to do because a band in a lot of ways is like this giant container ship in the ocean you know you can't just like slow it down Um, there's pressure of touring and of like continuing to do things and also there's you becoming increasingly aware of your art you know which you know if you come into this from like with like aesthetic and credentials, you never want it to get too big, or you never want like, you know, label mandates and, you know, expectations to sort of start to have more of an impact than, than they should. So you start to get like really insular and want to protect your thing. So I think without so basically, the answer is yes, but it's, it's a bunch of different things that I think brought me to a point where for better or worse, I felt like a hard cut off was was necessary. And that's not um, an easy thing to do. Um, And it wasn't like an overnight thing, you know, I think I sort of dabbled with it a little bit. And then eventually was like, I gotta, I gotta focus on this thing I'm doing at home, you know, and I rerouted my sort of life around it, you know, it's not like I stopped playing, but I really went all in on this work that I was doing, which was really, you know, managing managing restaurants, and I really found a community in the, I mean, it's, you know, most people be like, really, you started working at a bar and that like took the place of being in a band, but, you know, it's, it's hard out of context to give it the levity that it, that it had, but I just needed to do something different and invest myself in a different thing. Um And just sort of dive head deep into, into this parenthood thing that I was doing, you know, it makes
0: a lot of sense to me. I mean, um, you know, like there's certain there's definitely things in life that um you can find community in a lot of stuff you know and, and and even you know i've never worked in a restaurant but uh that that job seems to be the kind of job that people playing bands often get um yeah. and, you know our mutual friend carson you know carson was a oh,
1: definitely
0: yeah restaurant guy and i saw the community that arose around around his uh you know when he was working in the restaurant field and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me actually
1: yeah. So that's a, you know, that's, that's the piece of it. Um, but then like with all things, you know, you sort of get further along and you're like, ah, oh, was that like the right thing to do? You know, could there have been like some adult conversations and just like, you know, like if I'd taken just like a quick sabbatical and did some like quick fix therapy, maybe come up with some like better solutions at the time than just like, you know, quitting it um cool turkey like that so um there was vestiges of like missing it that I think the further along I got the more they just became manifest you know so I tried to do some other things musically and really very little resonates with something that has so much um so much importance in your life as like a band quite like that you know from having like a sort of like a main project that you do um and putting all your your passion into it um it's hard to get something else going and for it to have that same sort of gravitas
0: so now you're back in the fold so uh you know so what what kind of change you know what I mean like obviously your your uh, your children are older you know and maybe that requ- I mean so what what actually changed your life to bring you back into the band
1: um Trevor's like can I get a? <laughs> no sorry. no I'm good <laughs> Um by the
0: way that shirt is uh is fantastic man the bolt thrower shirt you're wearing
1: the boot i'm sorry i, I feel like nah, I should dude, say hey but yeah, it's yeah. like if they're listening you know they can be like oh that's
0: i doubt that. they listen to the show <laughs> and you know and i have tons of bootleg <laughs> shirts too but it's sick actually <laughs> um
1: yeah so i was i was starting to, to write some stuff you know and then um you know trevor and i were having a beer one night um i had just actually gone to their to the their listening party for nighttime stories at a brewery that's right by our house. And I was like, man, this shit is great, you know? And you can hear like stuff that sounds like things that you'd want to do, you know? And I'm just like, man, I really just got to make some music with Trevor. That just became like a thing in my mind, right? Like a seedling of an idea. Um, it was a,
0: a little bit of that uh, that fear of missing out kind of vibe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> a little, you know? <laughs> and then, and it's it's less about like, it's it's weird to hear it because it's this kind of out of body thing you know where you're like, that sounds really familiar, but it's not uh, it's not familiar, right? So I was like, well, you know past the past life is life, but maybe like maybe we could play music again, right? But that just was really tough to actuate for for a variety of reasons, you know, let alone that we really hadn't you know hung out too much and you know the 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 creative importance of of Pelican in all our lives was up great amount of time being spent together like an extension of a friendship you know and not like a band where you're like hey man I saw your name on a board like you know I hear you're pretty good at the blues let's get together and just kind of <laughs> see where it goes you know it wasn't anything like that so it's just always like an extension of a deep friendship so um you know we we sort of stayed in, in in touch from that point um I was sent I also started to talk to Larry a little bit you know we were sending stuff kind of back and forth during the during the early stages of the pandemic, I just found myself writing in a way that I hadn't done in a long time, and you know, once you started, just kind of it's like that sounded awful. Um, it was meant to be the sound of like a boulder of heavy rifts just pouring off of the back of a giant truck. It's
0: a tectonic wave of intensity. <laughs> yeah,
1: collapsing universes, you know, yeah. <laughs> opening galaxies of rifts that just like bore down on my house, and I couldn't close the windows. I was just like, let it in. So. A lot of stuff just started to to kind of come out and um, I just started recording stuff on my own at home and just tabling and just being like I'm just going to put this stuff on ice and just keep stacking and stacking and stacking and then you know I think Trevor this where you might come in just in terms of where the narrative picks up um, probably about a year and a half ago at this point
2: yeah. Uh so Laurent and I were like trying to get a sideband off the ground, but Mike, as you know, I already have too many bands. So sure. it was like trying to carve out time sure. to make excuse me, Trevor. Can I
0: can I just jump where where are you right now? I see like a drum set and there's like you know, that's his
2: house. That's your right. house. This is, this is my office. This is where I work every day. That's my that's my yeah, full kid.
0: drum set in your office.
2: oh yeah, it's my wife's drum kit. Uh, this is like this is our jam room or uh awesome. whatnot, but it doesn't get doesn't get utilized nearly as much as perhaps it ought to considering I have something like this in my house. Um, but we are doing some Pelican stuff here tomorrow, so that'll be good. Um, so anyhow, I, yeah, we were, it was really hard to try and meet up with Laurent. There was just too much other stuff going on between work and kids and already having two or three other bands. Um, so I, as much as I was really, wanted to get back into playing with Laurent it just seemed like a, an, an impossibility um, but I I knew that he had this hunger for playing again that had reawoken in him uh, and every time we would hang out he would talk about playing music and wanting to play music um, so when Dallas amicably split from the band um, it didn't really the the seed was there that like I bet you Laurent would be open to doing stuff with us. And we already had a tour booked. Uh, So at that point it was more a matter of like, Hey dude, do you think like you'd be open to playing six shows with the band because we have these shows coming up and like, you know, we'll see how it goes or whatever. Uh, And we did. And just the, the, uh, the emotional gratification of that coming back together as a unit, it just felt like, I don't know it's hard to hard to put into words because um it felt like rediscovering an old joy or an old friendship or something that had been absent from your life for a long time but it was also really different because uh obviously we had all kept playing together and our style has shifted and evolved and like laurent was bringing a whole new range of experiences to his playing as well and it was like as much as it was the joy to rediscover this old material it also like was breathing with a new life as well um so at the end of that tour we asked Laurent about doing more and uh we did a a few more things through to the fall and then we decided to just start writing again because uh you know we had a, a few things in our back pocket and I knew Laurent had a bevy of riffs that he had been working on uh and we've just been writing ever since
0: so you know, I never really knew uh how you guys formed cuz I remember I just remember Pelican just being a, you know, a band that um you know I was hip to all the Hydrahead stuff and um I remember you guys, I didn't know you guys like in the late 90s or 2001 or anything we just kind of all met like like around 2008 or 9 or something like that so where did how did the band actually form like do you are you guys like you know childhood friends or you know what what's the story Close. i
2: mean
1: close. I mean, I, I moved to the States in 1995, um, started going to the university um, in Evanston, where you know Trevor was living. Um, I was interested in seeking out other humans who were into punk and hardcore, preferably hardcore. Um, and it was a pretty small circle. I mean, it wasn't like you know, it would have been maybe 10 years prior in a small town. I mean, it was a good, good chunk of humans, but, um, you know, it's a small world. So you, you meet Trevor and then it wasn't too, too long before I met Larry. Um, and that circle kind of widened, you know, going to the same shows, hanging out, liking the same bands and stuff, sometimes not liking the same bands, but getting to different things. Um, but Trevor and I definitely in my, in my university days, like spent a, a good amount of time together. Um, you know it, to a degree I was at his um at his folks' house like a lot um in, in the early days, even staying there sometimes during the summer when I couldn't go back home, um, because the terms of my visa and stuff were weird. Um, so yeah, we definitely we hung out and and we were friends and had started a had done a couple of, you know, random projects whenever we could some stuff leaning like punky some stuff not and then eventually forming what was bloody tusk um which would have been like this sort of all out kind of grind uh meets sort of japanese hardcore assault you know um mostly for (laughs) self-entertainment
2: um
1: but you know eventually shortened its name to tusk and but we were that larry was the drummer pretty much yeah well yeah the entire time um and that was really our first um band the three of us um and we were you know active regionally one might seven I mean, we we went to california once yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> some, some fests and stuff but you know no like major touring or whatever
2: um, yeah we mainly played every chicago suburb one at a time yeah I love that. I love
0: how it's like in, in the early days of bands, like, you don't actually play in the city. You play like, you know, the random yeah. so like, like out here, it's like you're playing like Newark instead of playing in New York or something like that. Or, you know, you play <laughs> yeah, out probably, like Montclair, New Jersey or something. <laughs> you know,
1: Probably better shows as, as a result. But yeah, we had a, a, so many shows, so many flyers um, and we'd see each other at shows. Like you just didn't do anything socially that didn't involve the others. It was like, you're going to this show. Of course I'll be at the show. You know, I'll be practicing? Of course we're practicing. Like every Free moment was kind of spent doing this thing, but um, I was living with Larry eventually um, and just writing kind of some slower stuff on my own. I was the bassist in, in Tuscan. I was writing stuff on guitar that really didn't fit like at all and would have no no real place um, in that band due to the velocity of it and kind of where we were going with it. But, um, you know, I showed Larry some stuff and eventually Trevor was like this is cool let's do this like just as a fun thing on the side we didn't even know we're gonna do with it um I think at some point Brian joins because you know they're brothers he's upstairs he hears us playing he's a guitar player but he decides he's gonna play bass it just you know it kind of comes together in this very I don't know for me it just seems very typical of of the time it's just like effortless like oh here's a guy who lives on the same floor and he's and everyone
2: everyone, is, everyone
0: plays guitar too everyone yeah. plays guitar
2: he's brother, he's brothers practicing. of the other guy and yeah well we were practicing them. at the, the herweg's house in Des Plaines. so we were doing tusk practice every saturday uh and then i think laurent you went and like had like stayed over on a friday night and that's when you wrote the song mammoth probably sure and then like at tusk practice the next day uh you know after practice you were like do you want to work on this thing (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) and then brian and larry almost shared a bedroom they were like yeah it was really close it was like a basically a partition between their two rooms uh and so he's just there and uh yeah and then before you knew it we were every saturday we would do Tusk practice 10 minute break and then do pelican practice and it just went like that for years and we owe so much uh Keller Senior and Peg for putting up with so much fucking noise. Yeah, that it.
1: Strangely enough, I remember a lot of the transitions just having weed as like a transition. It was like, all right, we're transitioning. <laughs>
0: now we're doing the
1: other band, so we
0: <laughs> One of the interesting things, which I don't, I don't even know if it's really part so much of the culture of playing music anymore. But um, I mean, you guys and you know myself. Uh, We all have a similar background in some ways, Um, you know, our first, I mean, we probably all really loved Judas Priest and like the Scorpions first, but we couldn't play well enough. So then we got into punk rock music and stuff.
1: (laughs) Trevor went a different route, but I, I
0: I know, I I know, Laurent, I know that you're a big (laughs) Priest
1: fan, so that's why I'm speaking directly to you on this one. Yeah. I want to be KK Downing. I really do, but I I cannot,
0: I know you and I have spoken about this, I think, (laughs) but the, um, but all right. So the commonality though, is playing like punk rock and hardcore. Mm. And out of all the people that are in that little scene in the beginning, some people stay doing that music. You know what I mean? Some people are like happy to play, you know, integrity riffs and stuff like that and just keep running with that formula. Yet some people out of that same scene, they start doing different things. So I, I'm always interested to find out um, like what was like the point, like what was the the sort of stimulus for, for you guys that kind of like, you know, pushed you in a different direction to be more expressive or explore different things that were different than, um, than just playing, you know, punk and hardcore and grind and stuff like that.
1: You mean when we exp- like just dove, into the the pelican thing yeah
0: yeah. because you guys had this kind of duality going on for a while
1: yeah i i i'm you know it's a bunch of different stuff for me i guess um i think that we we all listen to so many different things some of a lot of them don't overlap at all but yet found um a common language, and when we were crafting music together. Um, and for me, slowing down was, or wanting to do slow things was really being impressed uh, and impressed upon by. Um, you know bands like Earth and Goat Snake and stuff like that and that was really you know you can remember sort of late 90s like the Man's Ruin thing is happening like Southern Lord is kind of just getting going you know High on Fire is coming out of sleep and stuff like there's there's definitely like the beginnings of, of a lot of those things happening and then even bands like Ice is coming on the grid you know and seeing them open for Naros and stuff you're like wow Slow is is crushing it has like a way to it that just any explorer of extreme music would want to, you would think would want to try to do that because it's such a, it's such like a polar opposite. So I think there was like just a general curiosity um, that didn't even feel forced. I mean, I don't remember having a conversation with either Trevor or Larry and them being like, oh, no, 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 we're sticking to grind. Like, that's our thing, you know, or we're, it's just gonna be fast all the time. There were even moments of, of tusk that had some slower sort of breakdowny parts that, breakdowny that's not even a word um (laughs) yeah that i think were much more about like one-eyed god prophecy you know uranus and like the bremen like hardcore thing you know with acme and sistral and that kind of stuff so um i don't know that there was you know an interest in being discordant axis um or anything like that but certainly being in the discordance axis influenced the fast parts and then being into this other stuff influenced some of the slower parts And then me showing up with some like stonery slow riffs didn't seem awkward. It was like, okay, this is just like a different extreme thing to just try. The strange thing is that it stayed instrumental. That's probably going to be like the puzzle piece. That's the weirdest one to figure out because I know we wanted a singer and we certainly like thought about getting one, but like, that's a tough thing to find really. And we knew we didn't want a particular kind of like hardcore type of singer. I don't know what we were really after, because it's not like I was gonna, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a tough thing to to land on. So I think we just pushed further into the instrumental thing. And then ultimately you start to fill the space because when you write um, instrumentally versus writing four vocals, I mean, the exercise is completely different. I can even sometimes hear bands um, or I'm hearing riffs and I'm like, there shouldn't be vocals over this riff. It's like, it's too busy or there's no room for the vocal melody or whatever. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a tricky thing, but, um, we, yeah, we just, we, I, I, really just remember liking it and just kind of sticking with it not really overthinking it at the time. And I also probably can't remember why it pivoted to being mostly Pelican. Maybe it was a reception issue, not like a cell phone or whatever, being we like in terms of people being receptive to it um there was immediate shows you know there was like oh you've got like a slow thing well high on fire is playing the fireside so that's a show you know there were bigger shows immediately as a result of doing this particular sound that were pretty big shows for us at the time in terms of exposure even if there was only like 30 people there you
2: know but we also accidentally like cracked open an entire audience that didn't exist before, because like, like Laurent said, it was not intentional to be an instrumental band. But after a few months of playing out, and we were starting to draw bigger audiences, even if it was, you know, going from 30 people to 50 people or 80 people or whatever. It was like we kept hearing again and again, like, oh, I've always like been interested in heavy music, but I'm turned off by the screaming and stuff like that. Yes, and definitely. so we we were like creating this whole new niche of of heavy music in Chicago uh, amongst people that had previously been kind of closed off to it in a sense. And Chicago was
1: really receptive to it for sure because of I think its own history with experimental and, you know, outlier music in general and just the bevy of like labels that are here and stuff. I I, I remember a lot of, just like a a, an embrace from from all from very disparate types of audience people you know just looking out and being like wow this is actually a very diverse crowd you know um and and not necessarily metal ish to begin with i mean sometimes we would play out of town more metal kinds of shows and people be like oh didn't expect you know you guys to look like this
0: expected you guys to have like, like, like leather pants and stuff like that. Their I don't
1: know what the expectations were, but they might've, you know, maybe the hair was longer, the clothes were darker or something. I'm not sure, but, um or maybe more tattoos or whatever, but it, it just, it was like, it, it immediately felt like Chicago was like a kind of a good, a good home to for this to kind of grow and become a different thing.
0: Yeah. Chicago has always been, I mean, if you go through my record collection, You know, you'll, you'll find, uh, you know, articles of faith, you'll find shellac in there, you know, big black, you know, naked ray gun tar. Like these are all bands that don't even sound alike, but they have like Chicago to me has always had a very unique, um, sort of vibe. And even like the more extreme bands, like, um, you know, like Indian and, you know, bands like that have a very, have you guys ever played with them just out of curiosity in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing too, is I never really, it's funny, like all these years, I just think of Pelican as a band. Like, I don't even think of you guys as an instrumental band. You know, it's not like, okay, there's, I like instrumental music, you know, and, you know, like Goblin or something like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I yeah.
0: just, I listen to shit like, to me, Pelican's just been a band that, mm-hmm. oh yeah, there's no vocals. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I'm flattered by your, by your looking at it that way, certainly because we never viewed it as being restrictive. It was just, there's no vocals. So we're, we're going to do our thing with these four, these three instruments, you know, Um, even, I mean, I think there was moments where we talked about like incorporating other types of elements and stuff, but it never felt, it never really took off, you know, it just stayed, even now, like coming back to it with this many years of distance, it's just a bass, two guitars and drums. And there's not like a plethora of keyboards and like fucking other stuff, you know, to fill out the space. It's just, I rolled up to show Trevor some riffs and it was just like, here's my guitar with a pick. Here's the, here's the riff, you know, just the same way that it was um, years back. And that may be, shows how you know maybe some people may like well that's a like a limited thing to to do you know you'd think after like 20 years of doing it this way but i'm like but i have still i don't feel like i'm really running out of ideas or like ways to to do this thing so i'm just going to keep doing it the way that it feels correct
0: so with these uh these reissues uh, through Thrill Jockey, it's it's all the it's the it's the Hydrahead stuff that's coming out, right? Because the the Southern Lord stuff is still um in print, right, Trevor?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah it was just Hydrahead uh, stopped doing; they stopped maintaining the label, and um they kind of released everybody's masters back out into the wild, and we we uh, we kind of examined our options, and we wanted to to work with Thrill Jockey because they have such a rich history and in, in Chicago, and we were interested in. I think we were interested in the Chicago-ness of that era of the band. Um, So that seemed like a really natural home for him.
0: So, um, Laurent, first show back with the band. Okay. Yeah. Deep breaths. (laughs) What was that like, man? Honestly, because it's like, Um, uh, you know, not having been probably on stage for a while. You know.
1: Yeah. So um you know different parts of your brain do different things. You know, you've got that part of your brain that's like pragmatic, problem solving. You know, you've got that sort of reptile like part of your brain that's just your you your defense responses and stuff. And on the right side of your brain, on your creative side, you've got like the flow state, and you're just in the moment. The first 10 minutes, you're just like oh my God, what am I doing? I'm going to forget every fucking note from all these practices. Like there's absolutely no reason for me to be up here. This is ridiculous. And then you're just like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Then you just settle into your thing, you know, like a lot of shows. Um, It was a very, like I almost kind of want to go back and do it again for it's, how lucky you just kind of feel to just rejoin an, an, an existing narrative that you were a part of and can now be a part of it again like you know it's like exiting a book and then it's like you thought the character was dead but he's back six chapters later (laughs) (laughs) you know turns out he wasn't a villain at all but just misunderstood (laughs) but uh you know just uh, all the weight that you'd expect from you know some touching on some of the themes that trevor brought up earlier but you know it's it's the exaltation of like friendship and, and the, all the drama of it in and, and the best way. And I mean, we all like to play on stage because it's loud and it's thick and it's like rich and cathartic and you're just like enveloped in sound. Um, and, you know, we're not like choreographed or, or themed performers. It's just certainly there's a lighting that seems to be kind of a nice conduit to what we do. Uh, but that's really the extent of it. So it's just about the four people and the music and it's always kind of been that way, you know, the stages change, the mix gets better as you go. Um, but it's just that thing. It's like that's like a facsimile of that thing that it was before. And so that um, was really transportive and, and pretty amazing. And just doing the same material, but with the benefit of like distance and the wisdom that you get from from age and the distance from things. Um, you know, I know I'm speaking in this sort of like vague terms, but I think I, I think I think you know what I'm trying to say. Um, it was oh, super cool. It was super cool. It was great. Um, and then the the shows after that, just because they were informed with this first good hometown show as like an as like an inception point for rejoining, um, they were probably better for me as a result of it you know it's like if the first show was just like a bust on some some performance level or whatever it would have been like you know maybe that seat of doubt would have been there but that didn't that didn't really happen and so I think especially the European stuff you know after which like all European tours was fraught with occasional moments you know of like wow there's a lot of cars on this road none of them are moving and the show starts in a half hour you know or like we you know random stuff or, or just like you know layovers and missed uh you know connections but um every show was played and they were just like it was like just rolling with it uh and so that was great um and to rediscover it for that um and to re-engage in it um, in that way was was really amazing um and you know we're all looking forward to to doing more so yeah i was so
0: going to europe man i mean it's uh it just seems like logistically these days touring in europe at least for the you know at least for now is is uh is is kind of challenging so how is organizing that whole operation
1: well it was weird because it was you know still kind of the tail end of uh well the tail end i mean it's it was very much like a covid time still. Um, and so there was, you know, challenges with that logistically and and in terms of, you know, health concerns and things, um, but choosing to still do it and, you know, testing all the time and, and trying to make it work. Um, and, but the shows, the shows themselves were, were, were great. You know, it's, I mean I hope to to go back there and and again do it um in a different um a different light you know just back to but I mean it's been it's been years I'm not sure I'm sure we'll get back there eventually
0: Yeah I I imagine you guys will you know So the the next thing that you guys have coming up um is this uh this 3 Floyds uh Dark Lord Festival which I've always wanted to play but I've never had an opportunity to do that so past that, is there any any plans for uh for any more live stuff coming up, coming down the line?
2: I believe the day before this podcast comes out, we will have announced uh a four show oh. tour in the Midwest. Or hopefully it turns out to be four shows. I don't know. One of them will be uh Chicago Metro. We're gonna do a big release party for uh the fire in our throats reissue. Um and then from there, I think we're going to try and focus more on new stuff and, uh, and kind of close down the retrospective period of our band. Nice. Um, but yeah, cause we've been making tons of progress on new songs. We're like six songs deep. Um, so yeah, I think we want to shift the focus to that and hopefully make a new record and then think about touring from there.
0: That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's not just like this, uh, you know how like bands get together and they have these reunion tours, and it's like like Motley Crue or something. You know they have like, uh, you know, their farewell tour that happens like ten years in a row.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing that's funny is like we've been doing this band. Um, I mean, and obviously not continuously for Laurent, but we've been doing the band for twenty years now, and yeah. uh, the pandemic. Over twenty years. Yeah, yeah, and the pandemic was the first time that we like ever had to hit the pause we've we've always been what's the next thing what's the next project what's the next tour what's the next album what's the next song and we've never been in a retrospective mode before so when we uh when the pandemic hit and hydra head we're like okay your records are going out of print you need to find a new home for them and we kind of that became the focus of the band for a while was just like reactivating these old songs and like doing archival work and digging up old tracks and like digitizing tapes and and all this stuff that went into making the reissues. And it's really the first time I think that we've taken stock of the band and where we've been and and where the journey that it took to get to where we are now. Um, And but but now we've been doing that for three years, so I feel like it's exciting to now (laughs) Uh, be done with this retrospective period and move on to the next thing because that's that's what's always been exciting for this band and that's always been what we've been about is just like the the next music the next batch of tunes
0: yeah because i know i know like you and i you know we've been in touch over the last few years and um you know you're you're I i was always hearing about the brand new reissue and stuff i'm like all right okay all right great you know this is good but uh when do we get some new material you know that was I was waiting for that announcement so that's good to hear i'm happy about that
2: but, but that's not to downplay the this last reissue we're really excited about it because the fire in our throats is a record that has always it was our biggest record of that era in terms of sales and the fact that that was like the first moment that we had like a legitimate feeling of success outside of chicago where we were touring and like people were turning up um but the record always sat weird because the mix didn't really sit right for us. Uh, so it was kind of like this mixed bag where it's like such a, a big and important record for us. But it was hard to listen back to. And uh, and Greg Norman, who originally engineered the album, uh, when I, I brought him the tapes to di- digitize them, uh, he, he offered to just remix the whole record. And it's... In a similar way that we're now approaching playing these songs with a new skill set and with a new level of comfort in our abilities, uh, he's got a whole new skill set and comfort in his abilities as an engineer. And he was able to bring that to, to mixing the album again. And I think that was um part of the joy is that it was that we did it with the person that did it originally. So he is still he was very much in the same headspace, you know, as we were in terms of what we were trying to achieve with the album. So it was it was really rad to hear what he was able to bring to the table with these, and I'm I'm really excited for people to hear this.
0: It's an excellent opportunity to have, because um, I, I I'm sure anyone who plays in a band, you know, and they, when their record comes out and they listen to it, and there's always like, oh man, I wish we'd you know did did something different, but hardly anyone ever has an opportunity to actually have the album remixed and presented again. So that that's really cool. I'm glad that you know. That, that's all that's awesome i you know, wish i could remix all all of the records i played.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that was a weird record because we did it i want to say we did the whole the record in seven days with mix like maybe four days tracking and then three days mixing and then in the middle of it we were like in the middle of the night we tracked the <laughs> tusk album oh wow it was like, that's, uh, uh, Brian, that's that Brian.
0: sounds uh, kind of insane.
2: actually. Yeah, It was like 11 o'clock and we were eating dinner and we didn't know when we would ever record this Tusk album. And Brian was like, I'm going. And then we were like, okay, do you want to just uh, play Swing. this Tusk album real quick?
0: Just, let's, let's record this album real quick.
2: <laughs> it was one, one 35 minute long song. So it was <laughs> like, you know, just run it and <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is there any um, any uh, like uh, supplemental material being released on there? Like anything in addition, like bonus tracks or anything like that on this record?
2: Um, I wish I had the track list in front of me. Maybe I can pull it up. There, there are a few bonus things. Laura you want to talk about it while I find the track list? No, you'll have to refresh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. We're, say not, we're not. We're not in promo mode yet. You. You got us on yeah. first. I can't first. say that's that all right man.
0: I can't even remember the names of the titles of the songs like that. Like I I still refer to like all of our songs by their working titles like when we write a set list.
2: Yeah, I mean we're the worst with that. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are four bonus tracks. I think if I remember right one of them is on the vinyl uh and then the other three come as a digital download with the vinyl and then the digital version I think will be all 11 tracks. Um but they're comprised uh, there's three demos from when we we demoed the whole album with Greg Norman at his home studio uh, before we went in. And then there was also a session that we did with him at Electrical Audio the year before we made the album, which was the March into the CEP. And then we did an alternate version of Red Ran Amber um, and that alternate Ran Amber is on the on, on there as well. That's pretty cool. I'm uh you know I'm looking forward to picking that up, definitely.
0: But you know, it's it's complicated these days. We all you know, the digital has this and then you know, it's not yes. like you can just buy like a, a CD anymore and there's like a you know, some CD ROM version of it or something, you know. Well, do you great. remember when they used to do that with like CDs or be uh, like yeah. a video or something on there?
1: The enhanced portion. The enhanced
0: you, portion of the C D
1: that you could access if you had the right hardware, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like this, the 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 gallery of photos there. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, Trevor, I have this memory that I always think about. Um, when I I think it, I forgot which tour it was, but we were in Portland, and um, you had gone to uh, Voodoo Donuts, and uh, I had never actually been to Voodoo Donuts, and um, I remember you came back with this big box of donuts but you didn't offer any to any any of the donuts to anyone else because they're I think they were vegan donuts or something like that and I was like I remember being like you know what I I used to like Trevor man but he's a selfish guy
2: I when it comes to to treats yeah I'm a vegan treat hoarder it's true and I apologize I've, I've seen the error of my ways but if I had that box of donuts today I can't say as I would offer the donuts but you know at least I acknowledge the wrongdoing here yeah,
0: actually, one one of my favorite um, another. This is this is a very very you know this isn't a wise guy sort of comment, but I remember being in Toronto, man. I'm like, we had jumped. I think you guys still had some more dates. It was the ISIS tour with you guys and us, and and uh, it was Toronto, and we were we were leaving, and I think you guys were you had a couple more dates or whatever, and I was just like, man, this is like one of the coolest experiences. Well, you know further first of all because the shows are always great but also just getting to meet everyone and um and like i'd known the isis guys for a while but um i think that's kind of like when i feel like we've like solidified solidified our friendship a little bit on that tour and i was just like man i'm gonna miss these guys it's like yeah, you spend a month seeing these dudes every single day and then now i'm going back home and you know back to the salt mine you know so um yeah I i just thought that was really cool and i was you know really happy to know you guys you know
2: well, likewise. I never knew you worked in a salt mine.
0: Yeah, they have. Um, I worked in the. It's uh, not too many people know about the Brooklyn salt mines. <laughs> and uh, you know, I did my time in the Brooklyn salt mines for a couple of years. You know, I don't the like real, to talk about it too much.
1: The real, real, <laughs> un, real underground thing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, it. You have to know a guy to get a job there.
2: Yeah, there's Himalayan pink salt, there's sea salt, and there's Brooklyn salt,
0: yeah, Brooklyn salt,
2: black, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, a lot of those a lot of those tours there's there's so much to to remember fondly, and then some things you just like can't remember or wish you could remember, you know, things bleed into each other day after day. but um certainly do miss the um, the immersion of the long tour experience you know because you sort of feel like you exist and just the time and place that you're in and everything else just kind of melts away you know until you you go home to you know the the responsibilities you have there but in that capsule that like travels the country you're just it's just you and the homies
0: yeah well thanks guys um this is great catching up with everyone and um yeah when this when this comes out uh the record will be available for purchase, I believe. So, I think the um, pre-order so that,
2: will be up by then. Yeah, yeah. The yeah.
0: pre-order will be up, and uh, you guys will have announced some dates, which is good. Yeah. You know, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, Laurent, hopefully, uh, another decade doesn't go by.
1: Oh, our pass will Yeah, I <laughs> certainly our pass will cross sooner than later. I'm I'm quite sure of it. I really enjoyed catching up, and you know, thanks for thanks for asking all the questions
2: get
0: into the grit that's what we do here at everything went black we ask questions deep <laughs> <laughs> <Even laughs> questions and trevor i'm sure uh, you and i'll be in touch <laughs>
2: yeah I, i'm sure i'll text you some questions about esoteric literature or like send you some links to hip hop records or whatever actually
0: i thanks thank you very <laughs> much man cuz like uh, i you know i that's been a really good deep dive for me cuz i i kind of fallen out of um you know like uh, I used to really love hip hop and now I'm back in the swing of it. You know, I mean, I went to that Vinnie Paz show a few weeks ago and uh, right. now I'm like, you sent me a bunch of links of stuff that I've, you know, real underground stuff that I didn't even know about. So that's really cool.
2: Well, let's keep the, keep the thread going. Hell yeah, guys.
0: All right, dudes, have a good evening and I'll uh, right. we'll see you soon. Take All right. Care, take
2: man. care. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Under what circumstances would you be on a Zoom call with thirty people, uh, giving a seminar or something like that?
2: Yeah, uh, it typically involves like a a major label.
0: Oh, okay. See, I I don't roll yeah. <laughs> like
2: that. You yeah, know.
0: you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know the people that you know.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> the, well, that's a lot of people. The the worst Zoom uh, I was ever on was it was like. Um, the year that they brought the grammys back but it was like uh still during the the height of covid so they weren't letting publicists uh into the grammys and like they weren't doing any like uh like in person interviews so all the interviews were going to be on zoom uh that would normally be on the red carpet so they had to do a seminar for all of the publicists at the grammys and it was like something like 600 or 700 people and uh and no. like a, <laughs> I was one of maybe 10 people that left the camera on I don't know most people had the 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 self dignity to keep their cam-